You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. What is going on? This is your host, Matt Labrie, and you are rocking with us here on the Decoding Success Podcast. So listen, right out of the gate, number one, the first thing on my list right here to do is to wish you a very happy holiday season because I have failed to do that the past two episodes here in December. So I do want to let that be known, share my well wishes to you and your loved ones. I'm very grateful for you. And to that point, I want to keep it real with you. That's number two on the list. Obviously, we're always keeping it real here on Decoding Success and beyond wherever we're connected. But something comes to mind when I'm about to introduce this guest, and it comes down to mastering something, mastering whatever it is you want in life. To do so, it's statistically proven that you either need to A, put in 10,000 hours toward that one thing, practice that one thing 10,000 times, or put in 10 years toward that one thing. Now, here's the best part about all of this. Today, we are joined by an individual who has over 25 years in business. In one specific area of business, he has completely, 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 and he demonstrates it daily that he has made this his forte, to say the least. So today, I am introducing to you self-made entrepreneur, Mr. Brad Lee, to the show. Now, Brad has over 25 years in sales and marketing. And after training and motivating thousands worldwide, Brad realized that he was spinning his wheels. He was traveling nonstop, saying the same thing over and over. And the only thing that was changing were the faces in the room. Now, let me stop right there. How many people can relate to that? You say the same thing over and over to yourself a million and one times, and you realize nothing is changing. Well, that makes Brad very relatable to all of us, because I'm sure that every single one of us has been there. So Brad knew there had to be a better, more effective way to train and communicate. He realized that in order to truly learn anything, there had to be repetition, practice, and ongoing accountability. Just like I mentioned earlier, right? You need to put in either 10,000 hours, 10,000 reps, or 10 years into something. Now in 2000, Brad decided to create a solution that would allow him to better train his clients and deliver the value he was being paid for. He completely spearheaded this industry and he did just that. It worked so well he decided to completely change his business model and share the solution with the world which has yielded him the opportunity to work with the likes of Grant Cardone who you've heard on this show and Damon John someone that I'm very close with. So today we have the opportunity to learn from Brad right here on Decoding Success which I am so grateful to be able to deliver to you. This episode is fun. It's outrageous at times. I can't agree with everything everyone says, but bringing you different perspectives is what matters, and that is exactly why we have Brad here today. We're diving into an array of topics, and you want to know what? This episode wouldn't be made possible without our amazing partners. So first and foremost, I want to give a huge shout out to Remo, R-E-M-O. They are an amazing digital space company. Now, when I say space, I mean virtual space. Like, if you want to host a meeting with your team from a remote perspective, Remo is the way to go. The best way to check them out is to find the link in the show notes of this episode, which will direct you right to their platform. You'll be able to see videos of trainings and things of that nature. My team and I have used it to host nationwide, which actually turned into worldwide networking events. So if you're in the event space, if you're someone that's been dabbling with the idea, I promise you, Remo is the way to go. Secondly, I want to give a huge shout out to Gen M. Now, if you're in business and you're looking to grow your team from an effective and affordable standpoint. This is the way to go. I have personally used Gen M myself with my agency 1B branding and it has been an absolute world changer. You've heard me say it once. I'm going to say it again because you need to get on this platform yourself. Listen, at the end of the day, you might want to find an intern that's local to you, but you're missing out on talent that is on a larger scale and they are on Gen M. I have been using Gen M for everything from my graphic design interns to my copywriting to my web design and the list goes on. I highly suggest checking out the highly talented database that you can find on Gen M. You could do all of the interviewing, all of the vetting, all of the searching yourself based on what you need for your business. I highly suggest checking it out in the show notes of this episode. Now, without further ado, we bring to you Bradley. 
Brad, first and foremost, man, excited to have you here and grateful to have you here. So thank you for joining us, my man. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. Now, we always kick this show off with the same question, and it's going to be no different here today. Brad, I have to ask you, how do you personally define success? You know, I've been getting that asked a lot lately. And I would say, again, I mean, I define success myself, simply put, as having the ability to make any choice I want to make. So ultimately, freedom. Success is freedom. You know, at at the end of the day, it's very difficult to define success. I know that a lot of people want to find success, but first they have to define success. So my definition is, is a long one, but a quick answer, freedom, options, choices. I love that. Now, let me ask you this. How or, or what has contributed to you being able to get to that point where you're able to make any choice you want, you're able to make any decision you want, so on and so forth? Well, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, you know, I can't choose to buy a $50 million jet. Um, I think that's coming, but I can't make any, any decision yet. So I don't think, again, I'm successful at this point. Uh, I think other people think I am, but that's only because, you know, their, their, their perspective is from where they are rather than where I want to be. You know what I mean? If you were where I want to be, you'd look back at me and think, oh, buddy, you ain't successful. Interesting. Okay. So to take me back now. So Bradley in high school, is he defining success the same way? If not, what was the definition back then? No, definition back then was freaking let's get some, let's get laid. Right. Uh, let's let's uh, let's see how we can make some money regardless of 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 what was necessary to do it. In other words, like when I was a kid, I used to, you know, I grew up in a blue collar family. So I used to like try and figure out ways to make money, not like working. You know, I tried that. I didn't really like manual labor, but, you know, so I started just thinking other ways to make money. So when I was a kid, man, I was literally defining success as let's get paid and let's get laid. (laughs) I have to say, I absolutely love that. So let me ask you, what were some of the ways you were making money? I mean, for me, um, from about 17 to 24, it was hustling and nightlife, man, here in New York City. We, I I mean, my team and I, we were just, we were in it. So I'm curious, what, what was it for you? Dude, at 17, you were in New York City. Yeah, man. Born and raised New York City. I mean, we, we were doing nightlife events and I can't take credit for this all by myself. I mean, this was all my team and um, some older individuals that I was working with. We worked with the likes of 50 Cent, Fetty Wap, Jadakiss, Fat Joe, Ja Rule, but had absolutely nothing to do with Fire Festival. I mean, you know, we, we were making it happen. Well, 17 years old in New York City is crazy. I went out there one time, tried to tried to move there once, you know, but your, your upbringing and my upbringing, two different things. So my upbringing, blue collar family out in the middle of the Pacific Northwest got kicked out of my house at 16 because I didn't mow the lawn. So grabbed my car and was just basically couch surfed for a little bit and was out on my own, figured I'd quit school because you know, who needs school? And so ran around, tried to be a movie star, you know, ran off to New York, tried to live there, tried to live LA, basically, you know, ran around a lot just to ultimately find that, you know, I didn't like manual labor and I, and I fell into sales. So really I started making money early selling, whether it was cars, you know, RVs, art, weed, like pretty much, pretty much anything as a kid, like a foolish kid would, would do to make money. So back then it was a kind of a, just hustle mentality. There was no social media. There was no, you know, e-commerce type uh, ways of making money. There was just, you know, sell something or work hard, you know, manual labor. Yeah. hundred percent. So what did you learn from that period of your life where you were couch surfing? I mean, to, to, take the risk to move to New York. Obviously, we, we know how competitive New York is even back then. Like, well, what did you, or when you look back at your life now from that perspective, what do you feel like you learned in that period of time? You know, I learned a ton, but mainly I learned how to sell clothes and persuade people. You know, I had to, I was on my own, man. I had to survive. So, so I learned, I learned uh, perspective. I learned gratitude. I learned how to sell and clothes and persuade people. And uh, ultimately get get people to see things that I wanted them to see the way I wanted them to see it. 
So would you suggest someone to put themselves into quote unquote survival mode as you were to, um, to essentially thrive, right? I mean, look at yourself now, you're, you're, you're making it happen. You're on stages across the country and if not the country internationally, you're on podcasts left and right. You got your own podcast, your content on socials. Great. Like you're, you're killing it right now from an outsider's perspective. So would you suggest someone put themselves up against the wall to kind of say, Hey, like this is like the last straw and push forward from there? <laughs> no, no, I would, I would highly recommend that someone avoids that at all costs. Why would you want to put yourself in a bad situation? Yeah. I mean, listen, at the end of the day though, some people, I mean, personally, I'm going to speak from my, from my personal perspective. When I put myself up against the wall, I perform better. So when I feel the pressure, I perform better. And I'll give you an example. Yeah, but, yeah, but hold on. That's, that's just simply because you perform well under pressure and you feel good when that's going on. So you've, you've sensed that like, you know, I should put myself in those situations. Well, Ideally, if you're putting yourself in those situations, those are situations that you're thriving in. So you asked if, if I want to put myself in a bad situation where I'm up against a wall. Well, no, I would not recommend you go put yourself in a bad situation where you're up against the wall. But if you're asking me, should you put yourself in challenging situations where you thrive and, you, and your blood's pumping and you freaking you know, perform at your peak levels? Absolutely. Two different questions, bro. Come on now. <laughs> well, you, you get what I'm saying now. All right. You get what I'm saying. So now, now going back to younger Brad, right? What, what was the dream? I know you said that you, you kind of fell into sales. I know you also said that you were trying to be a movie star. Like what was it? Did you want to be a baseball player or, or something of that nature? No, from, from very young, I wanted to be a movie star. I always knew that. And again, I technically still will be eventually, but, um, always wanted to be a movie star. Other than that, I wanted to be a police officer. Um, but at 19, I got a DUI or a few. And so I couldn't, I couldn't pursue being a police officer. Um, so, so ultimately I just, and, and plus it was probably a good idea. Cause again, back then my mindset wasn't right. I probably would have had a badge kicked in a door, you know, found somebody with freaking five kilos of Coke and $10 million throw them down, handcuff them, drag them to jail and turn in the eight ball and 50 bucks and, and, you know, walk away with the rest. <laughs> so who knows, who knows why I never made it to be a police officer, but I always had a dream to be a cop. I think that'd be a fantastic job. Always, you know, action everywhere. But you know, that was then ultimately uh, movie star was the main dream, quote unquote dream. Talk to me about the movie star. Why? Well, what was the influence there? Were you watching, you know, someone specifically like, I, I don't know, we'll, we'll use Tom Cruise, anyone who, who was it for you? No, when I was like four or five years old, maybe six, I can't remember, but uh, there, a movie came to town called Animal House. Uh, they, they filmed it in Eugene, Oregon at the University of Oregon campus. They filmed it in Cottage Grove, Oregon, where I was from. So a whole movie company came in and filmed a movie, shut down Main Street. And I was used in that movie um, in a couple of scenes and, and they were just treating me cause number one, I was a little kid, but they were just treating me, you know, really cool. And everybody was kind of like giving me attention. And I think that just gave me the acting bug. And so ever since then, I just always wanted to be an actor. And then I think, uh, shit, 15 years old, I was walking through a store and some lady asked me if I wanted to audition for a Levi's commercial. So I did that and, uh, got that. And then that lady, became my agent, quote unquote agent, but it was a small town. So it wasn't really anything major. And so, you know, I'd sneak down to LA sometimes and walk on the set of universal studios and, you know, walk around freely. Like, like I belong there. And one time I came out of the back door of this, of this studio and there was a, there was a school full, not a school, but a field trip with all girls you know, and I walked out the door and I thought I was cool. And I had my Levi jacket. I still remember that day. So I opened the, the back door of a, of a studio walking out of it. And there was this group walking by and they all started screaming, wanting my autograph, thinking I was a movie star. And so I'm just sitting there signing everybody's autograph. They're like, what are you in? What are you in? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I made something up. And I just always liked that attention. But, uh, 
went to LA, got a, got a starring role in a movie at one point in time. And then the producer's son got out of a drug rehab and they gave him my part as a, as a, as an award, as a reward for, for, for going through this rehab. And so that's when I said, what the hell? And they basically said, listen, that's, that happens, you know, it's called nepotism, you know, but the person with the money, the executive producer, the person paying for the movie gets to decide who's what. So whether we like it or not, you know, that's what's happening. So we wrote you a part in the beginning and we wrote you a part at the end, but you're no longer playing the, the main part. And so I'm like, so whoever has the money makes the rules. And they said, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, let me go get rich real quick and I'll be back in a year or two. And then I'll make the movie, I'll pay for the movie. And then I'll put myself obviously in it. So I just didn't realize that take 30 years. So here it is 30 years later. Now I've got enough to make movies. Um, and within the next three to five years, I will make one. It's either going to be a very expensive souvenir or it's going to launch a movie career, baby. Because <laughs> guess what? I mean, at the end of the day, I'm going to let the public decide if I come out in a movie, a full blown movie where it's in theaters and it's an actual movie. I'm not going to cast myself as the absolute star because I need starring roles to draw, draw in customers, but I will cast myself or write myself because I'll write a script too. Um, I'll cast myself as a, as a real, you know, good supporting role or something. And then when a movie comes out, man, if everybody loves the movie and I'm viable, you know, I'm believable. Like people are like, Oh, that's just an actor. Well, then I'd get more scripts and offers after that. Wouldn't you think? Of course. So, I mean, let, let me ask you this. Well, what genre are you going into? You're going into comedy, you're going into rom-com, you're going into action drama. Let me hear this. Dude, I don't know. I mean, uh, if, if I'm producing the movie, it'll probably be some sort of, you know, cool action flick. Cause again, I want to, I want to put myself in a cool, cool part. Um, so I don't have to, you know, get real in too far away from the real thing. So probably a little, you know, action, little, little, little comedy, but who knows? I mean, I don't know, bro. I'm looking for a good script. If I ever find a good script with good dialogue or I write one, um, you know, it, it's probably going to end up some sort of, I'd say action, but you know, there's a, there's a formula for making movies nowadays. So, you know, I know a few people in the movie biz and like there's certain kinds that sell and certain ones that don't. So I'd probably, you know, seek mentorship in that industry. When I'm ready, I'll probably re reach out and find some people that know what they're doing. I love that. Now, Brad, one thing you mentioned that I, I really love that you were doing was going to the movie set or, or the, the studio lot, right? Now, back then, I mean, personally, when, when I look back on my, my teen years and my early 20s, I mean, I'm only 27 now, but when I look back, I, I really didn't even know what proximity was. So what was your mindset of actually going to those lots? Was it to uh, get the attention, to put yourself in the environment? What was it exactly? Yeah, I thought I thought maybe if I if I, you know, got recognized walking around the lot that perhaps someone would discover me. Who knew? Um, but more importantly, I knew that that's where they filmed all my favorite TV shows and movies and stuff like that. So when I was in L.A., you park on Lancashire Boulevard, there's a bank and then there's gates where cars drive through. But to the left of the bank, there's a there's just a walkway with a with a little guard checking people. And I just, you know, I just shot my head down, looked like I was on the cell phone, walking or not cell phone, looked like I was uh, walking through the, the gate, busy doing something. And next thing you know, you know, I'm through the gate and they didn't stop me. So now I'm just walking around and, you know, checking out, opening doors, seeing what's filmed, walking on sets that nobody's on, walking on sets where they're actually there filming, movie stars walking around, shit like that. So, I first started doing that. Like, like I said, I snuck in like 17, maybe, maybe 17, 18. Um, but then, you know, as I came back to LA a few times throughout my twenties, you know, I'd go in there and do it again. So I don't know. It was just fun. I'd tell people, Hey man, you want to sneak on to universal? They'd be like, no way. How do you do that? I'm like, come on, I'll show you. 
we'd walk right past the security gate. Man, it sounds like you and I would have had a, a really good time back then in, in the teens, man. I love it. So you, you talk about falling into sales, falling into business in that sense. What was your original mindset when you were in sales? Was it something that you loved? And the reason I ask this is because oftentimes today, people look at sales as something that they don't want to do. They, they look at sales as, as naggy people and things of that nature. When at the end of the day, obviously we're selling ourselves in some way, shape or form every single day. So I'm curious, what, what were your viewpoints on sales at that point? Well, at that point, I loved it because I ultimately had a huge contrast. My, my first job, everyone talked me into getting was like a quote unquote real job. So I applied with the forest service. It was $22 an hour back then, which was damn good money. And, um, I got hired and I thought I was going to be a firefighter out in the forest with, you know, the Pacific Northwest had forest fires. So you have to go fight those. So I thought I was going to be a forest fire fighter ran around bragging, thinking I was going to be, you know, this cool, some bitch out in the woods with, you know, a flannel shirt and soot on my face. And ultimately when I showed up, they gave me a 10 pound bag of water, like a, like a bag of water to put on my back, like a backpack and then squirt on the stumps of smoldering trees that where the fire already went through, right? The firefighters were down the road. I was in the back with some backpack filled with water called a piss bag. So I thought I was going to show up and be a firefighter, felt all cool. And then I found out I was a piss bag operator. And I'm like, so you're telling me I'm supposed to walk around with this 10 pound bag of water until it's empty and then fill it up and keep doing it, just squirting on stumps. And, and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, let me try this out. And so it's heavy and, you know, there's smoke and there's sticks poking me in the eye. And I got to walk up the hill and down the hill looking for smoldering stumps in an in a ash-filled atmosphere. It was terrible, bro. And, and, and I'm like, dude, this is bullshit. This is for the birds. So, so the next day, I think there was a little patch of poison oak on my arm. So I go into the dude and I'm like, Hey dude, I don't think I'm going to be able to come to work. I got poison Oak on my arm and there was maybe a quarter size of poison Oak. And the guy peels off his shirt and says, it's part of the job. Now get your ass out there and go to work. And his whole body was covered in poison Oak. And I'm like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? Like you want me to go out and get poison Oak. That's part of the job. I quit. So basically I quit that bullshit because I don't like hard work. Like that manual labor is just not for me, dude. Like I wanted to, I, I, I didn't like it at all. So what I did is I opened up the newspaper, saw a job selling cars. So I went and applied. They wanted me to come in in a suit. So now I went from freaking dirty, grimy shit and big old work boots to a f- fucking suit where I'm looking all smooth and shit. I roll up in there. They give me the job. Dude, first thing they tell me to do is go pick out a car. Now this was, this was a Pontiac Volkswagen store. So basically... I'm a freaking almost 18 year old kid freaking and there's trans ams on the lot that I'm allowed to take as my car. Like they gave you cars, like they were called demos. So I'm like, I don't think they do that much anymore, but back then they just gave you the car to drive. So now I'm like, Holy shit, dude, these guys let you wear a suit. They give you a freaking trans am. And all I have to do is sit here and talk to customers and sell cars. So dude, what would you do? I mean, by contrast, like it was night and day. I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. And then people started coming in and guess what? I, I greeted them. I was nice. I showed them the cars they were looking for. And I started selling cars, man, and learning. And it was a great boot camp. Selling cars is a fantastic way to learn sales. But, you know, did, did extremely well in, in, in that and just knew that, man, you don't have to you know, break your back to make good money. You don't have to go out and, you know, get blistered hands and, 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 and scars and shit. There was other ways to make money and it was through sales. Yeah. So you had completely two different worlds right there. Now, Brad, what was on day one when they were letting you go check out the car, pick out a car on the lot, things of that nature, day one of sales up into today, what do you feel is the single most factor that's made you successful at what you do? The ability to listen, I believe is the single most, um, important factor of a salesperson looking back, then I would probably say my blind enthusiasm, good nature, and um, overall willingness to learn. 
So break that blind enthusiasm down for me. I'm, I'm curious to know what you mean by that. Is it something along the lines of you feeling that, you know, you, you could do anything? I'm curious what that means. Yeah, you know, I was enthusiastic. I was wearing a suit, walking around a car lot. People were walking in looking for cars. I got paid good money when they bought them. You know, I was enthusiastic every day. I approached customers, big old smile on my face, you know, greeting them running and getting some keys, test driving them. I liked cars. So like, man, this was awesome. I was enthusiastic, you know, enthusiasm, believe it or not, is contagious. And a lot of times salespeople, they're not very good because they don't have any enthusiasm for the product or, or anything. Maybe they've been doing it too long. They don't appreciate the opportunity. They don't believe in the product, whatever the case is, but they have no enthusiasm. You know, people, listen, we're, as you mentioned earlier, everybody's a salesperson. The difference between a good one and a bad one is the good ones know that they're doing it. And the bad ones want to act like they're not salespeople. Like you said, they're, they're against a sales position where their whole life is sales. You know, they, they sell people every single day. They're just not very good at it. I got good at it, man. I was enthusiastic. I made great money. You know, it was, it was, there was a camaraderie around the car lot where you you hung out and told jokes and capped on each other. And, you know, it was, it was like almost a team. You know, you, you mentioned the ability to listen. Now, I'm, I'm only talking from my personal experience here. Partial or, or part of the reason why I feel like a lot of individuals, and again, my, myself, lack the ability to listen to the extent that you need to listen when it comes to sales is because we are almost scared of that awkward silence. And obviously, having some silence in um, sales is actually a good thing, right? Giving people time to think and not pouncing on them, things of that nature. So what would be your recommendations to bolster your ability to listen? Well, learn to actively listen. There's there's difference between listening and actively listening. Um, but, but you just learn how to do it and be intentional. You know, when I'm listening to somebody as I'm trying to sell them something, I'm asking the right questions that will give me the ammunition to close them, to, to build value, to, to identify their pain points and map my products, you know, features and benefits to those pain points and or, you know, appeal to their sense of loss or, you know, by listening to the answers. But again, one of the, one of the things you must do is know the right questions to ask. So on that point, one thing that I want to talk to you about here, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, I feel like there's a big difference between a salesman and a closer. Now, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you do agree with me, what do you feel like are the two main differences between the two? Well, that's easy. And I agree with you a thousand percent. A salesperson, their job ends when the customer says no, and a closer comes in to move them from a no to a yes. Now, the salesperson themselves can turn into a closer at that point. But if you greet a customer, show them your product or service, answer all their questions, write up the order and shake their hand and send them off as a happy customer, that's what a salesperson does. You know, but a closer only comes in once somebody says no. See, if they've never said no, then you're not a closer. You're just a salesperson. So a salesperson's job ends when somebody says no. And now a closer's job begins. So let me ask you, when did you feel like you became the closer? When you were the person that's getting the call saying, hey, Brad, this person said no, let me come in. Actually, you know what? The better question is probably, how did you become the closer? Well, I became the closer because I listen extremely well and I'm fairly sharp. So I would see opportunities. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not saying a salesperson can't be a closer, right? So like when I say I was in sales, I was selling cars. I was a salesperson, but I was also a closer. So I didn't have to go get a closer after a while. In the beginning I did, but you listen to what a closer is telling you. And then the next time the customer says no, you try to say and do what the closer did. And next thing you know, the customer says yes and, and buys the deal. Well, I close that deal as the salesperson. But the difference between a salesperson and a closer is a closer comes in when the customer says no. The customer's not moving forward and there is a no, there is an objection. 
well, then a closer takes over. Makes sense? Yeah, 100%. And then uh, I think what you're what you're doing now is phenomenal, especially with your closer school. So I want to talk about that just a little bit. If someone listening to this right now is on the fence about getting the program, what's something in that program that you're willing to share? And again, I don't want you to give everything away. I actually want people to invest in themselves. I think that's probably the most attractive quality of anyone is someone that's willing to inv- you know invest in themselves personally. What's something that you're willing to share about that program that will elaborate on how much value there is inside of it? Well, I mean, to me, I'll give it all away. That's why I do Closer School Live, which is seven bucks a month. And I'm on the Zooms with you for every week live for an hour or two um, because I'm trying to role play practice and get specific. But the, but the closer school is, is actually, there's a course in there called the Masterclass. It's about five and a half hours, I think, builds up your confidence, teaches you literally how to sell and how to close the techniques, um, how to be persuasive, how to build relationships, how to leverage social media. Like it talks about a lot, but it's foundational, which means you need to go through it with repetition. And then you normally would get on the closer school lives to discuss and review and role play and practice and ask questions. So that's kind of what closer school is. It's really a, a pre-recorded interactive five-hour masterclass on everything you need to be successful in life and sales. Like it's like closer school has a saying, it says it doesn't just make better closers. It makes better humans. You know, it teaches you ethics. It teaches you the value of, of, of morals and ethics. And it teaches you how to be confident and why you're not confident if you're not confident. Cause bro, a lot of people out there, they're not, they're not confident and they don't even know why. Matter of fact, they grow an ego to protect themselves, but in reality, they're very insecure and they come across arrogant, you know, and uh, pompous when in reality, it's just because they don't have any confidence. So I teach that because if, I think if you're going to be in sales successfully, you, you need confidence. You need confidence in yourself, your skills, your product. You need to find value in yourself. You need to have self-esteem, self-worth, self-love. You see what I'm saying? So we, we go through a little bit of that. People, believe it or not, most people are saying like, holy shit, dude, this course is unbelievable. Like I was so insecure and now I'm confident and, and, I'm, and, it, and it goes outside of sales. And I'm like, you're welcome. Right. Now, you know, you, you bring up confidence. We've had a few people hop on the show here and discuss basically how they feel like you should build self-confidence. I'm curious to hear it from you. And the, the reason I ask that, honestly, is because we've had a few um, females talk about it. And I, I'm curious. I just haven't heard it from someone that's male, um, someone that I, I, I relate to. So I'm curious. How do you feel like you build confidence? Well, first of all, you got to break down why you don't have any. And ultimately, I believe, this is just my belief, it's your subconscious mind that's, that's, that's been witness to your entire life and your entire life over the years, you've lied to yourself, you've lied to others, you've cheated yourself and you've cheated others more than likely. You know, you've screwed up multiple times without any kind of uh, consequence because nobody knew about it or nobody was there to watch or whatever. And it builds up and pretty soon your subconscious mind basically doesn't think that you're worth anything because society tells us, you know, that, that deep down, you know, we're not worth anything and we should stay under the radar and keep our mouth shut and, and uh, you know, don't draw attention to yourself and be humble and be patient and sit down and chill out and, you know, kind of be average. We're taught to be average. So the subconscious mind's programmed and ultimately we don't think we're worth anything and we don't love ourselves. So how do you fix that is the question. Well, it's simple. First thing you do is you have to, reprogram your subconscious mind. So the way you do that is first, you, you, you openly forgive yourself. I always tell people, you want to see the person that can make you rich, go into a bathroom, make sure there's no one else in there, shut the door and then look around. And pretty soon you're going to see the individual right in the eyes, introduce yourself, get to know that son of a bitch. Cause that's the person that can help you. And ultimately what you do is you forgive yourself. Step one, forgive yourself. Sounds stupid, but you actually want to forgive yourself. And then step two is to, is to swear to yourself that you will never not do what you say you will do. You have to make that commitment, that promise. And you got to be careful not to do this until you're ready, because if you keep breaking promises to yourself intentionally and, and, you know, consciously like that, you, you could end up like screwing yourself up even worse. So when you're ready to commit, you commit to doing this, you forgive yourself, 
then you agree to never, ever, ever fail to do what you say you're going to do, period. So don't say it unless you're going to do it, period. Now, step three would be set some small goals. I'll I'll say like, for example, if you normally get up at 8 a.m., get up at 6 a.m. People are like, well, why? Well, because that's a win. Because you said you were going to do something and you did it. Okay. So, so at the end of the day, set some small goals. So, so your mind starts to recognize the wins that you're changing, that you're committing, that you're worth something because you start to repair that by doing what you say you're going to do. And over time, you basically start sitting up a little straighter and you start walking a little taller. And next thing you know, you're like, holy shit, I feel pretty good. And it's mainly because you're starting to actually like yourself. And then you start to feel like you're worth more than you have, which technically makes you work a little harder than you work. And it makes you see things differently than you've seen before. And you start to realize that there's certain people in your life that are disrespecting you and you, and you realize, you know, Hey, I'm worth more than that. And now all of a sudden you start to weed out these dipshits in your life and you start to hang around different people and you know, you'll know when it's happening because people will be like, Oh, you think you're so cool now, don't you? You know, or, or, or they, 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 they hate on you. Why? Because dude, they don't, they don't, they don't want to grow. They don't want to be better. They want to stay average because that's what their minds programmed them to do. So when they see somebody changing and committing and doing what they say they're going to do and, and their, their integrity is intact, Sometimes when your circle is not used to you being that way, you'll get some hate and some kickback. So you boot those people out because you feel better. And next thing you know, you look back, you're like, holy shit, dude, I'm making more money. I'm, I'm doing as, I'm doing better than I've ever been. And all of a sudden you start to get more confident about that. And then dude, it starts to gain, gain momentum. And then pretty soon you're walking around, dude, and you're not arrogant. You're not cocky. You're confident. You know you do what you say you're going to do, which means that in subconsciously and consciously, your value is increased. When you tell somebody something, it means something. You start to value yourself. Make sense? It definitely makes sense. And I think you hit the nail on the head specifically with number two when it comes down to stop lying to yourself. But Brad, in all honesty, man, when it comes down to that, it, it's fucking hard. You know, you, you get tempted by the devil uh, yeah, plenty of times, you know, but I, I, how do you hold yourself accountable? I mean, do you have to go out and get your get yourself an accountability partner to the point where, you know, you could finally be led on your own? Like, I, I'm curious. No, bro, I don't need an accountability partner. I'm my own partner. <laughs> you're, you're not going to you're not going to be able to get me to do something I don't want to do. Right. Okay. And vice versa. So at the end of the day, accountability partner, dude, I think that's for, you know, people that don't have self resolve. Like, you know, I, I don't need an accountability partner. I, I am my own partner. Like I don't need anybody to hold me myself accountable. If I say I'll do something, I'm going to do it whether I like it or not. Now, why am I like that? Well, because, you know, at the end of the day, that's how you win. Do you want to win or don't you? You know, it's hard. So what? So what? It's hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it, bro. You're right. You're right, man. If I told you right now, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to hand you a billion dollars. Or you can work for 20 million. Which would your answer be? I mean, I, I'm going to take the billion I, as long as there's, you know, n- no strings attached. Yeah, but see, most people, you, have, you start asking people that as your guests on this show, and you will see people say, I'd rather work for $20 million. That shows you that their mind's been programmed. Okay, who the hell would work for $20 million rather than just get handed a billion dollars? We're taught that if you're handed a billion dollars, it's not worth anything. Okay. We're taught that we're not worth, worth anything. And by, it's by the people we love and society. So it's like no one even really intentionally does it. It's just designed that way, I guess. But ultimately, dude, you wake up grateful every single morning. That's, that's like one of my growth hacks. If I, if I told you I'll give you a million dollars right now, you'd probably be pumped for the rest of the day, maybe even the rest of the week. Some people the rest of the year, right? You just got handed a million dollars. I just threw a million dollars your way, man. How lucky are you? Nobody could get, nobody would get all bummed out. Nobody would, you know, be upset about anything after someone just handed them a million dollars. Now, 
if that's true, and it is, would you rather have a million dollars or live? Well, now, obviously, we'd all rather live. Well, if that's true, then every morning you wake up and open your eyes, you get the news that you get to live. But yet we don't, we don't, we're not as excited as getting a million dollars. Why? We just received something more valuable than a million dollars. And we don't appreciate it. We're not pumped up. We're not excited. We allow the society to shit on us and, and, and bad moods and stupidity, really irrelevant stupidity when you look at the big picture. So I created what's called Million Dollar Morning, which is when you wake up, you open your eyes, man, you act as if you just got something far more valuable than a million dollars. And that puts your mindset in a good place. And it starts to position you to start gaining momentum throughout the day from being grateful that you got to wake up, you get another day, bro. That's some pretty big news. Wouldn't you say? Oh, a hundred percent. I got to ask you, what else is part of this million dollar morning? You, you wake up with gratitude. What else goes into it? Well, uh, I'll share that with you on the next podcast, my friend. Are we almost out of time anyway? <laughs> <laughs> we are, we are. We got a couple more minutes and you know, I, you took me by surprise earlier when, when you mentioned that you get that success question rather often, specifically recently. So I'm going to try and ask you some questions that you've never been asked before. And to that point, you've given us a whole ton of advice that I'm really grateful for. So I do want to express my gratitude once more. Now, what was a piece of advice that you received that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but it proved to be true over time? Um, dude, I don't know. I mean, shit, there's too many of those. Many, 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 many. <laughs> like, dude, I mean, I didn't listen to anybody ever. I learned the hard way, everything. The hard way on everything. So that literally goes on and on and on. And I don't know how I could uh, even begin to talk about them. Right. Right. Dude, like my dad, you know, but then again, there was a lot of things they told me that was also bullshit. You see a lot of people are listening to these podcasts for one reason. They want to learn something because they feel like if they learn something, they're going to succeed. Well, in reality, there's a lot of people out there that need to unlearn what they've already learned in order to succeed. They've learned to do the wrong things, you know, keep your mouth shut, have patience, um, you know, fly under the radar, you know, don't make, don't make noise. Don't, don't get, don't get attention. When in reality, you want attention. You don't want patience. So instead of, instead of looking to learn something, seek to unlearn something. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes sense. It makes a whole ton of sense. And I couldn't agree with you anymore. And, you know, I do want to respect your time here, Brad. I got one more question for you. If someone came up to you right now, you're hopping on a jet, you're, you're getting in an Uber, you're crunched for time. If someone came up to you in that moment, seeking a piece of advice to achieve their own definition of success, what would you tell them? Well, it depends because I hate giving advice unless I have more information. Usually people walk up and they'll say, you know, how do I make a million dollars? Well, first of all, I don't know who you are, what situation you're in, like, uh, you know, that would depend. So in that situation, I always say, we'll start with a thousand dollars. You know, most people want to try to get to a million dollars and they haven't even figured out how to get to $10,000. Like start with a thousand and then make 10 of those and then do that 10 times. And pretty soon you're like, well, how do I make a hundred million? Exactly. It's all the same. Um, so depending on what they asked, in how much time I had, I would probably say, buddy, I ain't got enough time to give you a good answer because, because, you know, too many people are out there giving advice and, and they have no clue if that advice is good or not. Now I can tell you what's worked for me. And if I had more time, I could give people what I call advice. Advice to me is like, dude, I need to know more about a situation. Like, you know, if I was going to, if I was going to really advise somebody, I would need to spend an hour or two understanding who they are, where they're from, what they believe. You know, if you want to change somebody's behavior, you have to change their belief. And if you want to change what they're getting, you have to change what they're doing, which is their behavior. So if I'm talking to you, for example, and you know, you're, let's say you're making a million a year and you say, I want to make two. Well, my simple answer would be do more than you're doing now and get better at whatever you're doing. So do more, get better, and I'll bet you anything, you would double what you're making. And then people are like, well, well, duh. And I'm like, well, dude, it ain't rocket science. People always say that, you know, how do I make more? I'm like, do more. 
it's not that hard. Like if you're talking to 30 people a month and you're selling an average of 30% and you're making 10 grand a month and you want to make 20, I'll bet you anything. If you just go talk to 60 people, you'll probably make double. Now, what did you really do? What's the big secret? Well, dude, all you did is more. You did more. Most people want more, but they don't want to do more. Okay. And then the next thing to do is get better. Okay. If you want to do more, Okay. Now you're, you're maxed out. You're, you're full scale. Well, how do you make more now? Well, get better at what you're doing. So you don't have to talk to as many people. And then after that, you would scale by developing systems and processes. So any idiot can run them because as I forget who said it, but soon one day, one may. So you create systems and processes and then you just market and scale it to the moon. Love that. Love that. Brad, I appreciate you hopping on here, man. Now, uh, we already know where we could get you on social at the real Brad Lee, the dropping bombs podcast, phenomenal stuff. And like I said earlier, the content on social has been great recently. And I, I really, really love what you got going on there. What other projects should people be aware of? You know, what do you got going on? Dude, I don't know, but wherever it is, you can, you can find it on Instagram. So like, I just keep, I just stay tuned, you know, go, go subscribe to my YouTube, my Instagram, and you'll, you'll probably be alerted some way or another, but you know, I've got a book coming out, you know, I'm probably going to start a couple more companies uh, that all revolve around, you know, light speed or training or making people better. So consulting, maybe masterminds, I don't know. I I know a lot of people and it's just, you know, I I think I could bring together a group of people that could help um, people. And my, my mission at light speed is to get the knowledge from the people who have it to the people who need it so we can live in a world more successful. So there's just so much to talk about, nothing to promote. You know what I'm talking about? I definitely do, man. Listen, Brad, I appreciate you hopping on here, man. Thank you again. Hey, my pleasure, bro. That right there was my guy, Brad Lee. Brad, shout out to you, man. If you're tuned into this right now, I want to express my gratitude toward you for hopping on here, adding a ton of value to our community, dropping fire content, and you want to know what? In the words of you, Brad, dropping bombs. So to that point, our amazing community members, what I'm going to ask you to do, and yes, that is you, the individual that is tuned into this right now, all of Brad's social links are linked in the show notes of this episode. Every social platform, his podcast, his website, where you can find his courses, his programs, keep up with him there, the release of his upcoming book, all of that good stuff in the show notes of this episode. Now, what I want you to do is make sure you're connecting with him on social. Let him know where you heard him right here on the Decoding Success podcast. Use Brad as a resource, as you should be doing with every single guest that hops on this show. Let him know where you heard him. Let him know on top of that, what resonated with you on a super high level in this episode. And you want to know what? That's a perfect segue into the next part of this outro right here. I want to talk about the three points, the three parts of this episode that resonated with me on a super high level. And I'm going to start off with knowing the difference between a situation that promotes growth within you and a situation that is bad for your overall well-being. And this kind of came about when I was trying to ask Brad about having your back up against the wall. And he alluded to it in such a great way. He said, there's a difference between the two, dude. And that's something that we all need to realize in life. There are situations that will promote our growth, that will challenge us in ways to become better in life, and then there's situations where we're just so freaking deep in it, we're drowning in it, it's causing us anxiety, it's causing us depression, it's causing us stress, it's causing us negative emotions, it causes you to get sick, it causes you to break down. You need to know the difference between the two and you want to know what, it doesn't sound or seem like those types of situations are so blunt and they're so just out there like that. No, in fact, they creep up on you little by little. So you really need to identify the difference between the two in your life. And when I sit down and when I digest that information and I really think about it, I understand the difference between the two and I'll be fully transparent with you. Earlier this year in 2019, I had myself in a situation where I was completely drowning. I thought it was great. I thought I had my back up against the wall. I thought I was going to grow, grow, grow. But no, I was breaking down. Times were dark. You need to identify those times in your life. And it's not to say, be scared of them, be timid. It's not to say that. In fact, you might want to test the waters on both sides of that spectrum. And when I say test the waters, I don't necessarily mean dive in. No, maybe you want to sprinkle your toes and tip your toes in the water to see what it's like first. I highly, highly suggest understanding the difference or knowing the difference between a situation that promotes growth in your life and a situation that is bad 
bad for your overall well-being. Now, that's the first point. The second point here is knowing the right questions to ask. Now, this came about as Brad and I were discussing sales, but on a larger spectrum, you need to know the right questions to ask in multiple situations, not just in sales. So I'm going to give you three examples here. We talk sales, so I'm going to leave that one to the side. The second example is in your relationships, in your communication efforts with your significant other, with your family members, with your team members. You need to know the right questions to ask all of the time. And that comes from listening, as Brad alluded to in this episode. In all of these situations, not just in sales, you need to be a good listener. So I said I was going to give you three points, and not just three points that resonated with me, but three illustrations of knowing the right questions to ask and in different situations. We talked sales, we talked in relationships, but how about with yourself? I guess you could put this in the ballpark of relationships when it comes down to your relationship with yourself, but you need to ask yourself the right questions too. It's not just about the questions you're asking others, it's about the questions that you are asking yourself. And I do this on a daily basis, so I'm gonna let you know straight up, I give myself a self-analysis every single day. And not every single day am I performing at the peak. I wish I was, if I was, forget about it. But I try to, and having that self-analysis and asking myself the questions over and over and over again, different questions by listening to myself, listening to my results, viewing all of these things on a, on a you know even spectrum here, that right there is advice that we all need to take into consideration. And number three, Brad talked about forgiving yourself. And you know, at the end of the day, we set goals, we have dreams, we have aspirations. We can't change what's happened to us in the past. And I want to allude to that. I want to make sure that you understand that. And it's kind of cliche. We hear it all the time. You can't change the past. The past is solidified. We don't have the past anymore. We don't even have the future. The only thing we do have is the present, right? You've heard me say that multiple times here on the show. So what I have to say to you right now is to make sure you're forgiving yourself for what hasn't come about. Or maybe it's something that did come about that you didn't like, right? Make sure that you are forgiving yourself. And this is different for everyone else, but make sure you find ways to forgive yourself. Learn how to forgive yourself. It doesn't come easy. You need to ask for help. Don't be shy when it comes to asking for help. I had no clue how to forgive myself. In fact, I freaking prayed and prayed and prayed until I was able to finally start making progress on that front. And you want to know what? I'm not perfect at it. You're not going to be perfect at it right from the get-go. And that's okay. That's totally okay. And that's something you need to understand. But make sure you do forgive yourself. But moving forward, as Brad said in the example that he was alluding to, a multi-step process to becoming more confident in life, to becoming more confident in what you want to achieve in life, you need to forgive yourself for what has not come about or maybe something that did come about that you weren't in favor of, right? So make sure you are forgiving yourself. So I'm gonna recap those three points one more time because I was about to rant for the next 20 minutes on these topics. The first one is knowing the difference between a situation that promotes growth in your life and a situation that is bad for your overall well-being. Secondly, know the right questions to ask, not just in sales, but in your general relationships with your family, your significant others, and lastly, with yourself. And third, make sure you are forgiving yourself. That is an absolute major key. Now, I have to ask you, if this value proved to be valuable to you, if you absolutely found this content, you know, the content within this episode from Brad to be fire or, you know, bombs dropped again, I'm going to ask you to make sure you're leaving a rating and review. I'm not asking you for five stars. I don't care if you leave me one. I just want to make sure that we are continuously improving this show to tailor it to our community's needs and their desires and their wants. I think that is really, really important. So make sure you are doing your due diligence, make sure you're doing your homework by leaving us that rating and review. And again, I want to give a huge shout out to our partners, Remo and Jen M. If you want to check them out, head over to the show notes of this episode. You could do just that. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.